If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out of blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code twelve twelve and get forty dollars off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code twelve twelve. Sleepcoolnow.com, twelve twelve. This is our number two of the World According to Zig podcast for this January 7th, 2018. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a true conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. Hour number two is generally the new, the uh, guest hour. News hour is hour number one. Hope you've checked that out because it's a good one. Uh, hour number two, we generally have a guest. That is, in fact, the case this week. This guest is interesting on a number of levels. Uh, partially because he is the publisher of Skeptic Magazine. His name is uh, Dr. Michael Shermer. He's also the author of a new book called Heavens on Earth. And the reason why uh, having him on this week is because Skeptic Magazine became the, the first media outlet that I'm aware of to extensively and thoroughly review in a very positive direction a book that we've been talking about for the last uh, several weeks uh, written by Mark Pendergrast uh, called The uh, Most Hated Man in America, Jerry Sandusky and the Rush to Judgment, which has a chapter featuring me and which obviously is a story that I have been working on for about six years now. And uh, and the book is very good. It's a little bit different than my theory of the case, but I urge you to check out Mark's book for a number of reasons, if only to give you a primer on what really did and did not happen in the whole Penn State, uh, Jerry Sandusky, Joe Paterno fiasco. Uh, but uh, Skeptic Magazine... Uh, actually decided to publish an editorial, or not an editorial, but as I said, a book review of Mark's book, which is, as I told Mark it would be, has been completely ignored by the mainstream news media because they just don't have any interest in revisiting this story, especially in a way that's going to make them look exceedingly bad because, as I've said many times, their Santa Claus is not real. They have they built a Santa Claus, and now they're like five-year-olds, who don't want to revisit this issue at all because it's not in their self-interest to do so. So that's the primary reason. By the way, before we speak to Dr. Shermer very quickly, I, I want to give a quick update on the fact that uh, my efforts to try to get the real story out there in a mainstream uh, media uh, venue are still in the works uh, and are still very much in play and could be happening within the next couple of weeks, although I might have to make a pretty big decision as to how and if my participation is going to be as I thought, 
Uh, I, I realize that sounds incredibly confusing, but unfortunately I can't talk much more about it except for the fact that uh, things are still progressing and still hopeful in that direction. So I'll keep you updated in every way I possibly can on that issue. So without further ado, though, uh, let's welcome our guest, Dr. Michael Shermer, author of the book Heaven on Earth and the publisher of Skeptic Magazine. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, Dr. Shermer, a lot of reasons why I asked you to come on, and one of them was because this week uh, Skeptic Magazine ran a, a book review of a book that, <laughs> with which I'm intimately familiar called uh, The Most Hated Man in America, The Rush to Judgment Against uh, Jerry Sandusky. I'm actually featured in a, a chapter of the book, and uh, this has basically been a huge part of my life. And um, I was fascinated that you decided to run this very extensive and very positive review, and also that you decided that you yourself, while you didn't write the review, that you, you needed to kind of write an explanation for your readers uh, of Skeptic as to why you were running the, this review. Can, can you tell us the, the process of, of why you decided to run the review and why you decided to, to run that explanation before the review? Sure, yes. Uh, well, the backstory for us, uh, Skeptic Magazine is a science magazine, and I'm a scientist, and, you know, our wheelhouse is science-related, uh, evidence-based claims, and we've tracked the recovered memory movement since the, you know, the 1990s when it was uh, in full steam in which people were recovering memories of having been sexually molested as children, and now they're adults when this is happening um, and, with, and there were people being convicted and put in jail with no corroborating evidence whatsoever that these so-called recovered memories were true. And, and the, the scientific question is, is that even possible? That is, uh, is it poss it's possible to forget things and then remember them, of course. That's a well-studied phenomenon. But the claim is something different than that, that trauma uh, forces the brain to repress a memory of the trauma, somehow pushing it somewhere inside the brain, and then it can be teased out later, even decades later, by professional therapists who know how to do this. That's the claim. And uh, so sci psychological scientists like um, Elizabeth Loftus was one of the earliest to put this to the test. Could you actually plant a false memory into somebody just by using these techniques that the therapists were using? And, and she found out how easy it is to do this, and that, in fact, uh, there's no science to indicate that um, somehow trauma forces people to forget memories. In fact, actually, just the opposite is true. Like, no Holocaust survivor has ever repressed the memory of concentration camps, uh, no victims of the Gulag Archipelago or any other uh, regimes that torture uh, their citizens ever repressed uh, the memory of their torture. Um, so when this was presented to these recovered memory therapists, they said, oh, well, that's a different kind of trauma. It's only sex. Sex, the trauma of, of of sex, is what causes the repression. No other form of trauma. Well, that didn't hold up either. So, in any case, that whole movement pretty much died by the early 2000s when lawsuits were filed and and these adult women who had recovered the memories retracted their accusations against their fathers, grandfathers, uncles, and other father figures in their lives that they had accused and. People were released from jail, and, and, and it all just sort of died and went away, and we quit covering it because there was nothing less left to cover. So I was pretty amazed when Mark Pendergrass sent me this book, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this, this sounds very familiar. 
and like everybody else in America, I just assumed Sandusky was guilty. I mean, there was you know dozens of claims against him, and you know ten victims and witnesses that saw what happened, and you know, so I just never gave it a second thought right. uh, until I you know started reading Mark's um, or the Fred Cruz's review of Mark's book, and, and you know just going through each of the ten, and it's like oh my God, not one of them is a reliable eyewitness or victim who uh, never forgot the trauma. You know, all of them had, you know, said something different. And then when either the recovered memory thing was um, introduced into the narrative, I went, uh-oh. And then, of course, even worse is the potential payout for concocting one of these stories, whether unconsciously or consciously. And we know how that works. Because um, I remember um, when the Dow Corning case uh, erupted and, and uh, the, about silicon breast implants, and uh, I live in L.A., so I remember these, seeing these full-page ads in the Los Angeles Times from these law firms. If you have any of the following symptoms and you have breast implants, you might be available for a huge cash payout. And, of course, you know, within weeks they had, you know, hundreds of women who had – and the symptoms were like, you know, weight loss, weight gain, trouble <laughs> sleeping, not trouble sleeping, you know, just pretty much, you know, pretty much life. You know, if, if you've ever been anxious about anything, you might be, you know, available for a payout. Like, well, yeah, I'm alive, so I've had all those myself. So uh, – you know, that that makes it even worse, you know, when Penn State, you know, waved $100 million in front of all these uh, law firms who got in on it. It's like, okay, they're, you know. And so I, I wrote a disclaimer at the beginning saying, look, I have, you know, no idea about Jerry Sandusky's innocence. That, you know, that's, you know, we can't prove that. Uh, you know, the, in fact, no court can prove that. All it can do is say, is he guilty beyond a reasonable doubt or not? And if his conviction of being guilty beyond a reasonable doubt is based on these accounts, then uh, I don't see how uh, he got a fair trial based on the science only. I can't speak to the other aspects of the case, but just the science of these recovered memories and then, of course, the temptation for the big payout makes it even worse. Now, the review that you guys published at Skeptic Magazine was fantastic, very extensive, thorough, and, and really makes anybody come to the conclusion that at the very least this was not a fair trial if not uh, jerry sandusky is clearly innocent and people can read that at your at your website or also at my website where i've prominently linked to which is framingpaterno.com but i'm curious uh, dr Shermer, have you ever had to or felt like you had to write what you referred to as a disclaimer before running a book review before no <laughs> No, I've never had to do that, but uh, I felt like I had to do it because it, it is a super sensitive issue because sexual molestation is a real thing. And, and um, well, actually, I, I guess we did back in the 90s when we first started covering the recovery memory movement because you don't want to be accused of being, a, um, you know, blaming the victims or, or, or anything like that. Um, well, know, let, me, let me stop you right there, though, Dr. Shermer. Isn't that the key to how something like this can be allowed to happen, though? That that protection of people afraid to yes. question the accusers, isn't that a very dangerous concept to begin with? Yes, it is. Yep, absolutely. Um, you know, it's like we the week before this one, we ran a, 
uh, one of Carol Tavris's column. Carol Tavris is a um, social psychologist, world-class scientist, and, and also a, a, a one of the pioneers of second-wave feminism. And she wrote a piece on the Me Too movement saying, um, now slow down here. We, we, we can't lump everybody in with Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, surely there's a difference between, say, Al Franken and Uh-oh. Garrison Keillor Uh-oh. and Harvey Weinstein. Well, you know, now she's a rape apologist and so right. on. I mean... Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, it's a way of shutting people down and saying we're not interested in your arguments or evidence. We're only interested in condemning. So this is all part of the, the whole social justice warrior movement uh, and the postmodernist movement that we've been combating for decades also, that, um, you know, evidence goes out the window as long as you uh, signal your virtue that you're against this, you know, terrible thing right. and that, you know, everybody and anybody must fall under these accusations because this is such an important moral social movement and um, again we you just you know in a civil society with a rule of law you, you can't just assume people are guilty because they've been accused but that's what what the, that's what happens I, what you just said there dr Shermer, is so incredibly important because i'm i'm seeing this I, obviously I, i've lived the penn state uh, sandusky case for six years uh, much to my own detriment, but I've seen it. I've seen similar situations occurring now fairly regularly. I think there are some within the, the Me Too. I think Al Franken got caught up in that. But this virtue signaling uh, phenomenon, uh, where we're now living in a world where if something is popular, it is seen as right or truthful. And if something is unpopular and doesn't get enough retweets or likes on Facebook, then it can't be true. When when often it's exactly the opposite of that. Oftentimes, popularity is the inverse of truth. Do you you see that same thing happening? Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, uh, it's hard to stay focused on just the evidence. Just tell me about the evidence. Uh, Because, you know, that, that sort of goes out the window and you have uh, a social moral type movement so you know these these moral panics take off it's instead of calling it this one the me too movement a witch hunt it's more like a warlock hunt as mm-hmm. as uh, one of the uh, feminist writers called it uh, that was one of the earliest to say now slow down <laughs> right. i mean if if garrison keeler can be taken down destroyed erased almost like a stalinesque airbrushed out of the photograph right. kind of thing because he accidentally touched the the bare back of a woman he was comforting and apologized to her, and she accepted the apology. And you know, however many years later, uh, he gets a letter from this woman's lawyer. It's like, okay, if he's not, none of us are safe, and that's disturbing. I mean, we're not supposed to live in a society like that. That that was, you know, the whole point of the evolution of the judicial system over centuries was to prevent those kinds of things from happening, which were fairly regular. Uh, regular centuries ago. Now, when you tweeted out the book review for Mark Pendergrass's uh, book, The Most Hated Man in America, The Rush to Judgment Against Jerry Sandusky, uh, you referenced that this might be, or I mean, you may have even said it was, the most controversial article you guys have uh, posted in 25 years. Yeah, that could uh, be. You know, of course, uh, I've got to... You know, I got to compete with everybody else in in online uh, and get people to read an article. So, I, you know, I didn't do any kind of metric measure of how controversial <laughs> okay. articles are. But you know, it, it certainly is, is is one of the more controversial ones. What but was, that's 
that's okay. I mean, it has to be okay to, to, to talk about a book. Mark, Mark put it out there. Right. You know, and if somebody wants to refute the claims he makes, that's fine. And, and <laughs> Good I've luck with a, that. No one's going to do that. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I've had people saying, can I read the book? And, and, and if I have any criticisms, can, are you interested in posting those? It's like, sure. I mean, it's a dialogue. It's conversation. You know, let's right. just put it oh, out there and let's see. All I've ever asked on this case and I've never found anyone willing and able to do it, is just give me an open and honest debate about what the facts are. That's yeah. all I've ever, ever asked. In fact, I have longed, Dr. Shermer, I have longed for someone to prove to me that Jerry Sandusky is guilty so that I can rid myself of this albatross, I, and, and no one can come close to doing it. I, I would love for him to be guilty so I could you know, put this away and, and move on with my life. Right. Um, but it, there's just no way it's going to happen because it, it didn't happen. There's, it's not possible. The evidence is overwhelming, and there's no evidence where there should be mountains of it. So I'm curious, though, you, you tweeted out that this might be the most controversial thing we've done in 25 years. What was the reaction to the to you guys publishing the book? Um, well, it, it, it's... If you read the comments at the end of that article on skeptic.com, they're mostly positive in the sense that, wow, I had no idea, uh, and this is disturbing if it's true, you know, that kind of thing. A few people said, are you out of your mind uh, to, to even challenge this idea? But, but, but you know, why, why should that be? I mean, just, just because, uh, you know, the news media or whoever covered it, you know, just accepted these claims unquestionably, you know, we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to be skeptics. We're supposed to be pro-science and critical thinking and, and, and be able to uh, evaluate evidence properly. And, um, you know, again, like everybody else, I never looked into the case. I wasn't particularly interested in it at the time. Right. I had no idea that, that there was these other things going on and that you know, none of the eyewitnesses or victims had initially said this is what happened. Uh, they, they all changed their mind on some level. And so it's like, okay, well, that's, there's something wrong there. Well, thank you for publishing the uh, the book review, and, uh, and you're the only uh, media outlet that has done so that I'm aware of in a, an extensive way, uh, which, by the way, I think is, is emblematic of a much larger problem than just this case. I, I think uh, the news media is broken. I think journalism is dead. People are f afraid of going to any place that might harm them. Uh, there's no willingness to take risks at all and to, to move outside of the herd. There's a, there's a media herd, and everyone is afraid, especially in a story like this, of getting run over by the herd because no one wants to lose their job or no one wants to get destroyed on Twitter. And uh, I, I think that's incredibly dangerous and damaging. So thank you for at least standing up uh, you know, in your way that you could uh, for allowing uh, this book to be at least discussed. Now, you, you're a book author of your own, a best-selling author. You've written a lot of books. Uh, uh, people may have uh, heard of Why People Believe Weird Things, which I think is a fantastic title. Um, you must be crazy. When are you going to stop believing in something that isn't true? Yeah, that, 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 I don't know if you use that in your book or not, but, that, <laughs> but um, uh, you are, you're out this week with a brand-new book called Heaven on Earth, the Scientific Search for the Afterlife, Immortality, and Utopia. Now, because of the, the very short time period between the time I asked you to come on and, and this interview, I haven't had a chance to get the book yet, but I'm fascinated by the topic. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about, about Heaven on Earth? Yeah. So he Heaven's on Earth, it's plural, because there are many, many versions of the afterlife and, and, uh, and Heaven, depending on which religion you examine. So my book is a science book, so I, I primarily focus on scientific attempts to achieve immortality, you know, radical life extension and 
genetic engineering and mind uploading, cryonics, transhumanism. You know, there's, there's, I call these afterlife for atheists that, you know, these are people that don't necessarily believe that there is a heaven in some religious sense, but they're going to create it here now, either, um, you know, technologically, scientifically, or in my middle chapters, I cover the attempts to create heavens on earth in the form of utopias and why those always fail. Uh, anything from the uh, sort of goofy little communes in the 19th century to the mass, you know, socialist communist experiments in the 20th century that were catastrophic attempts to create utopia. Um, th- those are all, all of this is driven by this idea that, um, that there's something beyond the, the life we have now and that we have to strive for that. And anyway, so I, I, I go through the, the monotheism's versions of heaven, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and how different they are and how they evolved over time. They all have histories, and those histories change depending on the culture that they're in and, and, and what else is going on around them. And, and then I also delve deep into um, the Eastern wisdom traditions. I, I, I'm friends with Deepak Chopra, and, and you know, he believes that when you die, you just, you just return to the conscious state from where you came before you were alive. And you know, that's, that's a very foreign idea to most Americans, but you know, it's very popular in other parts of the world that you know, consciousness is primary and, and that you know, the physical instantiation of consciousness is just a temporary uh, housing for the conscious state, and, and we return to that. And, and in the middle chapters, I go through all the, the scientific attempts to do this um, and show that none of them really are going to work. I'm, I'm skeptical. I'm, I'm just as skeptical of scientific attempts to achieve immortality as I am the religious ones. Uh, that is to say, um, you know, so far, you know, the idea that, he, that, that we live twice as long as, as our ancestors did just a century ago, that, that's actually not true. Um, that's something of a, of a myth. What, what, what's happened is that public health measures and vaccinations and things like that have enabled more and more people to live long lives. But no one's uh, breaking through the upper ceiling of about 120 years. In fact, very few make it to 110. But there's more centenarians than there ever used to be. So more and more people are making it into their 80s, 90s, and, and early 100s than ever before. But all that has to do with, with public health measures, not radically over uh, re-engineering the human genome or anything like that. So, uh, you know, the basic things like, you know, eat a healthy diet and don't smoke and, and you know, take moderate risks, not extreme risks. All, all these things are, are, are pretty basic. But, you know, things like, um, uh, you know, radical calorie restrictions to increase your life is, doesn't work. It may work on on, uh, on on rats, but it doesn't work on people. In any case, it's not a not a healthy or, or pleasant way to live when you're in a constant state of starvation. <laughs> so, you know, I, and I, I work through all those claims. Um, you know, there's quite a few scientists actually, like Ray Kurzweil, the chief engineer of Google. So he's got the backing of one of the world's largest corporations to try to uh, achieve this. That that is achieve immortality through science. And on one level, I'm glad people like that are working on it because maybe along the way they'll solve specific problems like cancer, Alzheimer's, senility, things like that, which would be good. That, you know, that, that would be good for humanity. But I worry that they focus too much on, say, living a thousand years and that you're going to miss the life you have right now. Don't, don't miss that. And that's kind of the message of my book at the end, whether there's a heaven or not, you know, no one knows for sure. Um, that you know the here and now and how we treat each other and how we live a good life is what really counts 
And uh, so that's heavens on earth in, in a nutshell. Well, I, I have no interest at all in living to a thousand years. Uh, I mean, that that would just be uh, crazy. Um, I, you got how many careers you could have or, or spouses? Well, <laughs> well, no, because frankly, to me, I mean, when I look at people over the age of seventy-five, uh, there are very few people that I've seen that. From a physical standpoint, live uh, what, what I what would appear to be a fulfilling life. Uh, so, um, and I'm a golfer. I figured as long, you know, the, the moment I can't hit the ball, you know, at least 250 yes. off the tee, then there's really no purpose. That, um, that's right. So, um, so, but I mean, but more specifically, a little more seriously, Doctor Shermer, what what is it? What is your belief about what happens after we die? Uh, well, my belief is that nothing happens. You, it, 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 you're in the same state you were before you were born, which is to say a state of nothingness. That is, uh, unless there's a way to um, somehow continue on the pattern of information, it's not just your physical body that has to continue. It's, it's your memories, yourself, your point of view. That's, that's the soul. Because we, you know, we know, I go through this in the book, that, that all of the atoms in your body are recycled. There's, there's very little material in your body right now than there was that that was there 10 years ago so you're you're a different person but it's the pattern of how the how the material stuff is is uh, patterned in, in a form of information dna and and your memories your connectome of your brain um that that constitutes the self and until there's some explanation of how this continues on beyond the physical body and no one has any no religion all, all religions um you know basically have a dualistic notion that there's a soul some kind of non-material substance that continues on. Well, we don't we don't have any evidence of that. That's never been measured. Um, this is just a concept that's an assert that's asserted as existing, but there's no evidence that this actually uh, exists. So, until until there is evidence for that, I have to be skeptical of that. So, to me, I don't know what happens for sure after you know I'm going to die. No one, I think no one does, and there's always a doubt. And part of the problem is is that you can't really conceive of even what it's like to not be alive because to be to to, to be to be able to conceive of what it's like to be dead you have to be alive <laughs> so really it's an impossible idea it's like imagining nothing you know before what was there before the big bang nothing what does that even mean i mean no thing is a thing that doesn't exist but it, nothing is not even that and and so we we really kind of hit a wall of of understanding something that we can't really understand i mean that you can't really conceive of nothing so i don't know uh, i assume i live my life as if this is all there is so i better make the most of it that is be a good person have meaningful relationships try to make the world a little bit better place than it was and and so on and and, and i think everybody should do that even if you're religious and you and you're you know 99 percent confident you're going to heaven and you're going to find jesus or whatever okay uh, but still uh, it, it, don't don't miss out on this life because you're so focused on the next life. Well, I, I have a very very similar worldview, uh, Doctor Shermer, which can of course be rather depressing at times. Uh, and I actually think more people, whether they admit it or not, are coming to the same conclusion. And, and I think it's having rather devastating effects. Like for instance, it's been my theory since the moment it happened that the Las Vegas massacre was perpetrated by a guy who did not believe in an afterlife and who wanted to commit suicide in what he thought was the most spectacular way he could. Yeah. And, and I think that more and more people, I think it is, it's, it's imperative for a society to be able to hold itself together. And this sounds 
contradictory since I don't believe in it, but I think it's important that people believe in an afterlife because otherwise we're going to have chaos. Uh, because most people, if they don't think there's going to be any reward or punishment for what happens here on Earth, uh, there's nothing to keep them from bad behavior. Uh, does that concern you? Um, well, no, it doesn't because I think we've inculcated enough of uh, of the idea of morals and people being treated equally under the law and and so forth in 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 the last two centuries or so since the enlightenment that um i i i think without the internal policemen that religion provides people will still treat each other well and really my pre- wow that I is, do, yeah, I'm kind this, of an optimist is, this is where previous, we differ this is where we differ in my previous book the moral arc i really track moral progress over the centuries and how we've gotten better. I mean, conservatives today are more liberal than liberals were in the 1950s, socially, I mean, in terms of, like, how, how, to, treat, how, how to treat and deal with Jews and blacks and women and so on. All of us have had our uh, moral horizons, you know, expanded. Uh, to be more inclusive, less judgmental, less tribal. Hmm. You know, there's still issues, of course, but, but, hmm. but how did that happen? You know, and I think the American experiment is, is really working. That is, you know, that there's certain principles we have, wh- wh- whether they came from God or nature. You know, there's certain rights, inalienable rights. And, and that, that idea has been, uh, I think, picked up and continued more and more every year uh, for two centuries. And, and I think we're better now than, than we used to be, even though we have a long ways to go. There, there's no there there to get there. There's no utopia. But the idea of, of treating people better, and, and, you know, I think all that's good. I hope you're right. I, I think there's <laughs> a lot of evidence to the contrary. Uh, while I have you, let me ask you one other question about another book you, you wrote, which I've already referenced, uh, Why People Believe Weird Things. Why do people believe weird things, and could you connect <laughs> that concept to the, the the idea that Donald Trump somehow was president of the United States, because uh, <laughs> as a conservative, I am uh, utterly baffled as to what conservatives are thinking or alleged conservatives are thinking and, and why they're believing so many weird things. Can you help me out? Yeah, 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 sure. Well, my first book, Why People Believe Weird Things, is primarily focused on the supernatural, the paranormal, and, you know, ghosts and aliens and UFOs and conspiracy theories and creationism and Holocaust denial and, you know, these kind of extreme things. I don't really get into politics too much there. I do later in, in another book called um, uh, The Believing Brain, uh, in which I do deal with, with uh, politics a little bit more. But I think the Trump phenomenon is, is, is going to be dissected for decades to come. It's, it's hard for anyone to understand uh, how this could happen. Even conservatives, obviously, are shaking their head in disbelief. They can't believe they won, that the party won in that sense. So, I, you know, I don't know. I think there's several um, uh, threads in the fabric here that we can tug on one is i think the political the political correctness movement it just went so far that uh it, 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 even people who were close to being never trump um were just so disgusted with you know hillary as a candidate with the far left progressive left uh being so politically correct that that you know that whoever was left standing out, out of the 16 republican candidates they were going to pull the lever for that person and i can i can understand that you know it's uh it, this is in our wheelhouse again of tracking the sort of postmodernist political correctness movement in academia because i'm an academic i'm a professor at chapman university uh, as an adjunct, and so I, you know, I kind of watched this stuff over the over the decades, and 
you know, that most, as I've said with, you know, moral progress, most conservatives are good people. They're not bigots. They're not alt-right, neo-Nazi, fascist pigs. They're not. But if you tell them that they are and that anybody right of far-left progressive is a, is a Hitler, Nazi, fat, neo-fascist, neo-Nazi bigot, and, they're, and they know they're not, they're going to get pissed. They're going to say, screw you. I'm going to vote for Trump just to stick it to you because you told me I'm a racist. I'm not a racist. And I, so I think there's some pushback there. And I, you know, I'm totally sympathetic to that. Mm. Okay, well, that's as good an answer as I think uh, we're likely to get in this in this crazy time and in crazy week and crazy beginning of the 2018. But I, I, Dr. Sherman, I really appreciate your time. Thanks again for publishing the uh, the book review of Mark's book. Uh, people should check out your brand new book, Heavens on Earth: The Scientific Search for the Afterlife, Immortality, and Utopia. And also check out uh, your Skeptic Magazine at skeptic.com. Right. Yep, that's it, skeptic.com. Thanks, John. Thank you, Dr. Shermer. Okay, bye-bye. Appreciate your time. Uh, And once again, you can check out the the book review that uh, we referred to about the uh, Jerry Sandusky book at my website, which is www.framingpaterno.com. As always, I ask only two things of you. Uh, First of all, actually three. You should check out hour number one of the podcast if you haven't already. That's our news hour. Number two, uh, make sure that you share this uh, podcast via social media. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you, as uh, we are going to be stopping our regular weekly run of podcasts next week, although we still will be doing podcasts intermittently and probably more based on what's going on in the world, but it won't be on a weekly basis after next week. Uh, so also make sure you uh, you are aware of how to get this podcast and sign up uh, for updates and what have you. Uh, so that you can remain a, a fan, hopefully, of what we do here for free on the World According to Zig podcast. The second, the third thing I ask of you, of course, is for your own best interest. If you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.